Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you have a good Christmas? Uh, yeah, I did. had a, a great long weekend and enjoyed a couple days with family and then a couple days to just chill and unwind a little bit and ready to get back to routine. Got Oklahoma State football this week, Oklahoma State basketball this week, so ready to get back to it. Yeah, me too. I'm fired up for this bowl game. You know, one of the best bowl games of the entire slate, really, considering OSU and Miami is the only ranked matchup that's not a New Year's Six Bowl. So that's that's really on paper, and by definition, it's a great bowl game. So I'm looking forward to talking that with you and much more. But first, let's get to Chris University Spirit, your one-stop shop for all things OSU gear. It dawned on me, Colby, you know, I moved in with my fiance, and I don't know what happened to, like, my sweatshirts, but, like, I don't own a sweatshirt anymore. I, I I put a lot of my winter wear and just, you know, odd places when I moved in. So I can't, I couldn't find my sweatshirt. So I had to order an OSU sweatshirt to kind of keep me warm during the, uh, the winter months. Do you have a, a go-to uh, OSU sweatshirt or hoodie or anything? Yeah, I do. It's one that I got from Chris's whenever I was in college that just kind of says Oklahoma state on the front. I actually, it's funny. I need to get another uh, like Barry Sanders throwback is kind of like a Barry Sanders t-shirt the and, jersey yeah yeah and my wife stole it so it's now hers and it's in her <laughs> closet so I might need to go to Chris's and see if they have I got that one like seven eight years ago so I'd probably have to get something different but yeah I need to make that happen yeah I bet they're printing more now that they wear the, the throwback jerseys seemingly every year so maybe uh, Chris's could hook you up uh, Colby, let's get right to it. Uh, Tylen Wallace, uh, we, we kind of heard throughout the week, you know, Dylan Stoner had kind of hinted that, that Tylen would play in the bowl game, and Tylen made it official yesterday that he will play in the Cheez-It Bowl. And you and I have talked a lot about this, and look, I, I think this is a personal decision. It's a business decision, and I don't begrudge anyone that, that opts out that wants to go to the NFL. Certainly in Tylen's case, he could do that, but you know, it's kind of a breath of fresh air, Colby. It seems like anyone that has any remote possibility to go to the NFL opts out the, these days. And to me, this just tells me, you know, Tyler Wallace just loves playing football and he, he clearly feels an obligation to, to finish things out with his team. Yeah, it's his comments were really interesting. You know, he said that he doesn't disparage anybody who makes the decision to go. If that decision's right for them, then do it. And that's great. But for him, this feels like the right way to go out. And, and look, I'm kind of along the same lines of Tylen. I totally support the guys who want to go pro. I totally support Tylen suiting up for the bowl game. You know, he knows the risks and he's deciding that he wants to go out uh, and he wants to suit up one last time. I'm totally good with that. I'm going to be really nervous watching him every time that he runs a route, takes a hit, does anything. I'm, I'm going to be real nervous watching those knees just to make sure that everything's good for him come draft time in uh, April, May, whatever time the draft is. But um, I'm, I'm good with whatever decision a guy wants to make in regards to his own future. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, I've seen some disparaging of Chuba Hubbard and Rodarius Williams as being bad teammates. I, I, I really, I can't go there. I don't think those guys are bad teammates. Um, I, I don't think that this necessarily makes Tylen a better teammate than those guys. This is what's right for Tylen. What those guys are doing is what's right for them. Uh, and, and I love it. As an Oklahoma State fan, I'm excited to get to watch him play one last time. Me too. And it, it certainly changes their offense, which we can talk about. But I think another caveat to this is his brother is, you know, basically an assistant coach now. It's, it's one more opportunity to 
And again, he's not playing with his brother considering he's got a headset on, but it's another opportunity to, to, you know, play alongside your brother. I mean, it's one more, one more game with him before you go to the NFL. That's a, that's a piece of this. And I know his stats weren't as mind blowing as, as usual for Tylen Wallace, but he only played in eight games and he had 877 yards. So he averaged over hundred yards per game. And I know it's disappointing for him. He was not a Bolitnikoff finalist. Uh, the Kyle Pitts kid from Florida is a tight end actually made. He was the first tight end to be a finalist for the Blitnikoff because it, go, it does go to the best pass catcher in the country. It's not by definition just receiver. So I know he was disappointed he, he wasn't a finalist for the Blitnikoff. But again, I would probably go pro. And especially with the, the history of injuries that he and his brother have had with, with ACL injuries, I would too. But this is his choice. And I think it uh, – says a lot about him really that, that he wants to play in the bowl game and, and finish it out with his teammates. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to that. And the offense I mentioned looks a lot different, obviously with Tylen on the field. We've seen that when he goes out, like he just makes such a difference with the vertical passing game. Another difference in this bowl game, Colby is Jelani Woods. We finally know his destination uh, is not Arkansas. It's Virginia, which took me by total surprise, but Marshall Scott wrote a good piece about Woods going to Virginia. And it makes a lot of sense on paper in that Virginia had a tight end that's very similar to Jelani, who uh, his name is Tony Pol- Poljan. He, he is six foot seven, 265 pounds. And he was, he was Virginia's second leading receiver with 38 catches, 400 yards and six touchdowns. So to me, Colby, this, this appears as if Jelani wants to step right into that role, get more catches, more targets, and, you can't really blame him for that. Yeah, I mean, the, the Jelani Woods transfer to Virginia makes it very offense, very, very uh, pardon me, very apparent that he wants to go to an offense that's going to utilize him more as a pass catcher because uh, clearly that's what he thinks his future is in the game of football is going out and being one of these red zone threats. Uh, obviously, maybe not at, at this high of a level, but a Jimmy Graham type of guy who can just post up smaller guys in the red zone and go score touchdowns. So, Good for Jelani. Obviously, he was a fan favorite at Oklahoma State. Just a, a big old rumbling, bumbling, stumbling tight end. Uh, it's a shame that they couldn't use him more. I think some of that's on the offense. I think some of that's on Jelani. He did have some drop issues during his time at Oklahoma State, but he was a lot of fun to watch. And I look. I'm I'm not gonna lie to people. I'm not gonna be turning on my TV next year and seeking out Virginia games. But <laughs> I absolutely will get on Twitter and search for Jelani Woods next year and see what he's doing at Virginia, catch some highlights, and I will continue to root for him as his career continues uh, elsewhere aside from Stillwater. What would you do if he won the Mackey Award next year? Oh, man, if he won the Mackey Award next year, that would be such a condemnation of how he was used at Oklahoma <laughs> State. It's not even funny. Oh, I, I can just see him scoring like 10 touchdowns next year. Uh, and it just, and watch For anybody who doesn't know, that's the award for the top tight end in the country. Sorry, yeah. Best tight end in the country. And he'll have to put up more numbers than the, the his predecessor at Virginia did to probably win that award. But well, I Kyle think, Pitts will be gone. So that helps. Well, Pitts will be gone for sure. And he'll, he certainly will get the ball more uh, in Virginia than he did in, in Stillwater. And, and just to add insult to injury, they'll probably run the, the, the woodshed package out of, the, out of the shotgun for like five more touchdowns. He'll have like uh, some crazy amount of touchdowns just to twist the knife a little bit uh, for me. So, but, but with him gone, Colby, I do think it's even more of a, not an issue, more of a incentive 
to go more, you know, four wide receiver sets. There's not as much of an obligation to keep your two tight ends out there with Logan Carter and Jelani, obviously with Jelani gone. So hopefully this, hopefully, you know, we saw in the Baylor game, Colby, it felt like they opened it up more, uh, more four wide receiver sets, less two tight ends. Hopefully with the loss of Jelani, they'll open things up like they did really in the Baylor game and in the latter part of the, of the season. And that's, that to me is huge in this game, Colby, is reestablish your offensive identity. You don't have Chuba Hubbard. And I think that's something that really, I think, took this coaching staff too long and that they ended the season with, with a Doak Walker award, should have won it last year, a Heisman contender and, and Chuba Hubbard. And he clearly wasn't the same guy, whether it was injuries, whether the offensive line started out struggling so much. And to me, Colby, they just didn't adjust. They didn't they didn't spread it out, go to more spread, and, and quit trying to pound the ball as, as much as they were with with Shuba Hubbard. So maybe this loss will be, you know, something that gives them incentive to spread it out more. Yeah, maybe. I, I hope that that's the case. You need to, to me, show Spencer Sanders, show Shane Illingworth that this is an offense that's capable of letting them play quarterback. And I, I don't feel like we saw that at times this year. I think at times uh, the coaching staff, for whatever reason, decided to really, really put training wheels on this offense and on their quarterbacks. And I, and I know that Spencer's dealt with some turnover issues in his career, but it, it's just my opinion that the solution is not neutering the offense to the point that it's unrecognizable and, and you can't move the, the ball. You can't pick up first downs. If, if you can't pick up a first down, all game long, you can't move the ball anyway, then are, are you really gaining anything by not risking the turnovers? This offense is at its best whenever they get defenses spread out. I think it helps the running game too because you don't have so many defenders packed into, you know, I like to call it the phone booth offense. You don't have so many defenders packed into a phone booth that you're trying to run around. So I want to see an offense in this bowl game that uses the three running backs that will be available. It looks like uh, LD Brown will be available, Desmond Jackson, then, and then of course, uh, Dominic Richardson from Bishop McGinnis. I hope that they use all three of those guys, spread it out. They've got Tylen, they've got Stoner, both of those guys in their last games as Oklahoma State Cowboys. I think it would be awesome if they were to spread it out enough and throw it around enough that both of those guys could have 100-yard days the final time that they suit up in the orange and black. Yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm totally with you there. And I, obviously Dylan Stoner, his last game as well. And I, I don't think he's going to have 247 yards again because Tylen Wallace is back. <laughs> but along the same lines of, of Jelani being underutilized, I mean, we saw in that Baylor game, Colby, like Dylan Stoner is so much more than just a possession receiver. He has, like I've mentioned many times, he has legit track speed, won the 400 meters as a junior at Jinx. He has a kind of a sneaky vertical leap. We saw him moss that dude against Baylor as well. And I think we'll look back on this season and think, man, shouldn't Stoner have been much more of a factor in this offense? And again, he he announced to Colby that this is his last game as well. And he could come back for a six year. <laughs> He's been on campus, I think, since 2016, which is crazy. Uah. And he's, you know, he's going to the NFL and I, I don't begrudge him at all for that because I, I do think he's going to make a roster. He might even get drafted because I think he's going to test really well and turn some heads between the scouts at Pro Day. I don't know if he's going to get a combine invite or not, but if he does, I think he'll turn a lot of heads there as well. So also kind of the swan song for, for Dylan Stoner, who's, you know, the super senior and he's bypassing the, uh, the sixth year, which he kind of said, Colby, what I've said multiple times when discussing him is that 
you know, he's 23 years old. He just kind of, you could tell he was just kind of, you know, we were all in college. You know, I, I was a fifth year senior. I was ready to go by that fifth year. Like, I was like, I've seen, like most of my friends are leaving. I'm, I'm ready to go. And it appears that uh, Dylan's made the same decision. Yeah, I think so too. And like you said, I think that he could get drafted. He has a future in the NFL, I think. I mean, there are a lot of guys that can do what he can do um, that, that are playing in the NFL right now. Guys who are quick, good top line speed. Uh, I mean, he can do a lot of different things uh, for a defense. And I think he'll stick on an NFL roster. He's been fun to watch at Oklahoma State. He, he has those big games like the Baylor game. And then there will go four weeks where Oklahoma State goes to the phone booth offense and you don't hear from him. Then they'll spread it out and he'll have 116 yards receiving. Then they'll go right back to the phone booth. So it's been kind of an up and down career for Dylan Stoner. The one thing that I'm a little surprised about, Carson, and I don't know if you feel this way, I'm surprised that in his career he returned as many punts as he did and didn't have just a couple of big highlight take-it-to-the-house returns. For whatever reason, a guy who I think is really fast, elusive, and talented, just the, the return game at Oklahoma State's been non-existent, and I don't know if that's Stoner. I don't know if that's the, the way that they're coaching that position to, to fair catch it so often and play it very safe back there. I mean, he did a good job not turning the ball over in his career back there, but it really surprises me that somebody as talented as he is didn't get more going in the return game. No, I'm with you. That's a good point. And I, I think it mostly has to do with – OSU's return schemes it doesn't appear like you know most of his fair catches he would do it with six four or five six defenders around him with no blockers and he would just have like he had no choice I would say roughly 75 percent of the time that was the case and I think that's a lot of it has to do with you know the teams run that shell punt formation now and OSU gets two or three guys past the line of scrimmage into that into that shell right in front of the punter and there's just not as much blockers as you typically see, you know, other places when, with returns. I, I think part of that is I think Gundy's content to just fair catch it and get his offense on the field. And in most years, that's the right decision. But uh, I think he, his hands were tied a little bit with that. And, and again, he, when he finally had a little bit of daylight, he would get, you know, 15, 20 yards here and there. But you're right. He never quite had the explosive returns that we had seen with maybe a, a Josh Stewart, for instance, uh, of, of that ilk, or even a Jalen McCleskey who returned one against Tech a few years ago. So I'm with you, though. That's a, that's a good point and something I hadn't really thought about with the uh, the return game. Uh, so it's OSU, Miami, and the Cheez-It Bowl. And again, I, I mentioned this. The only bowl matchup with two ranked teams, Not featured, that's not a New Year's Six Bowl game. So by definition, one of the best bowl games of the entire season. And Derek King, Colby, we, I want to get your keys to the game, but Derek King is the quarterback from Miami, transferred from Houston. He announced he's coming back next year, which was somewhat of a surprise. He probably would have been a late-round pick in the NFL, but he's coming back. And I think this is going to be the best quarterback they've faced other than Spencer Rattler this year. So really, uh, we've mentioned uh, OSU's offense, how they can attack Miami, but OSU's defense got their hands full, and they don't have Rodarius Williams. We don't know if Trey Sterling is going to play. They're, they're going to be missing some pieces on defense. So, Derek King, a, a legit challenge for this OSU defense. But last week, with the short turnover um, between the regular season and the bowl game, some of those guys who are dinged up don't have the usual four or five weeks to get their bodies back right for the bowl game. So, we may still have some guys out with injuries, but yeah. Derek King completed almost 64% of his passes this year, over 2,500 yards, 22 touchdowns to only five picks. He was also the team's second leading rusher 
with 520 yards and four touchdowns. And we've seen Oklahoma State defenses historically, now all defenses to an extent struggle with dual threat quarterbacks, but we've especially seen it from Oklahoma State over the years. So I'm curious to see if they can really kind of keep him in check. I don't think that this is a very good matchup for Oklahoma State defensively because Miami's going to have a lot of team speed. Cameron Harris at uh, running back, Mike Harley, the lead receiver for the Miami Hurricanes. And then De'Eric King is so fast and, and can beat you with his arm as well. So I, I think that this is going to be a higher scoring game than what we got used to seeing from Oklahoma State throughout the season. The Cowboys currently two-point favorites. Um, actually dropped from two and a half to two while we were on the air. I just looked 10 minutes ago and it was two and a half, and now it's gone down to two. So Oklahoma State's a two-point favorite, but the over-under in this game is 60 and a half. And we saw a lot of games for Oklahoma State in the Big 12 uh, in the low 50s. So at 60 and a half, honestly, I think I'm leaning over because I think Oklahoma State tends to be more creative uh, and risk-taking in bowl games than they are in the regular season. And I just think that this Miami offense with De'Eric King will be able to do some things against an Oklahoma State defense that might be without a, a couple of its top guys. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And I, I think these teams are very similar. I mean, I think they're they're both – they both can be explosive offensively, but they both have won some close, lower-scoring games this year. I don't think Miami's defense is quite the same caliber as OSU's. And Miami does have two guys that have opted out on defense. They're going to the NFL, so that'll hurt them in the bowl game. We mentioned some of the guys that OSU uh, will be without and, and may or may not be without. So that's – to me, they're, they're very, very similar teams. That's why they're so similar in the rankings as well. But uh, one, one quick note before I get to the keys of the game, Colby, is uh, that the AP All-American team's out. No Cowboys, not on the first team or second team, which if you had told me that before the year, I would have thought that Tywin and Chuba would have gotten, you know, severely injured. And obviously Chuba was hurt a lot of the year, but uh, disappointing. No, no OSU Cowboys make the uh, AP All-American first or second team. But uh, one, one key for me, Colby, in this game is, and look, I, I understand some of the issues the offense had had to do with offensive line the defections on that side of the ball but I think a big part of it too was having a new offensive coordinator without a traditional spring full spring without a traditional full fall camp and they really never got off the starting blocks to start the year and obviously the injury to Spencer Sanders only compounded things so I'm, I'm really curious to see with several weeks off you know several weeks to get a game plan together for one opponent just what Casey Dunn cooks up for this offense. And I think the way to beat Miami is really on the ground. And I, I think sneakily, the OSU offensive line's played better the last three, four games to end the season. They haven't been a sieve like they were at the beginning of the year. They ran the football very well against Texas Tech, at times against TCU, and obviously they did whatever they wanted against Baylor. But I want to see Dominic Richardson and Desmond Jackson get their running game established. Because again, I, I keep going back to that North Carolina game that Miami played where they gave up 700 yards and they had a rusher run for 300 yards and a running back run for 200 yards. So 500 on the ground between two guys. Now, I'm not expecting Richardson and J Jackson to do that, but I, I, I'm curious to see how they use the running game in this game. And just really, Colby, just all this extra time to get prepared. Let, let's see something. None of this too tight in with only two receivers out wide, running long, slow developing routes that put Sanders under duress. I want to see a totally revamped, creative offense in this game 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that that's the key on the offensive side. I'll give you my key to the game on the defensive side. You're without your best corner in Rodarius Williams as he's headed to the NFL. You're without your best pass rusher in Trace Ford as he suffered that injury against the Baylor Bears the last time out. So that means that Oklahoma State, I think on the defensive front against the Eric King, it is going to be so important for Oklahoma State's pass rushers to have discipline as they go after De'Eric King. If you see those defensive ends for Oklahoma State getting too far up the field and getting behind De'Eric King, I think that you could see him uh, rush for 80, 90, 100 yards in this game if Oklahoma State lacks the discipline on the defensive line. So for me, it's uh, don't get up the field too quick. Get your hands up all of just kind of the stereotypical cliche stuff that you have to do against a mobile quarterback. That's how you have to defend the Eric King. So hopefully without trace Ford, the guys who are rotating in there for Oklahoma state can, can play that disciplined style of football that keeps the Eric King contained. Without trace Ford, can they just put Calvin Bunnage on the field and leave him there? Can we see him for more than 20 plays, please? Right. Can they just put him out wide and say, go hit the quarterback every single play? Yeah, I'm good with that. Snap. Even if you use him as a spy, just yeah. use him as a spy half the time. Half the time he spies, half the time he just pins his ears back and tries to go after him. I'm totally good with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Unleash Calvin Bundage. That's that's another key for me. So, all right, Colby, uh, how are you picking this game? What's your, what's your pick? And uh, just tell me how you think this game plays out. Yeah, I already told you, I think it's going to be pretty high scoring. Um, I think Oklahoma State's offense, like I said, historically, we see them, you know, cut it loose a little bit in bowl games. I think De'Aaron King will be able to get loose a little bit. I mean, I, I just you, – you can't under – I mean, I, I let me rephrase. You can't overstate how big of a deal it is to be missing your best pass rusher and your best defensive back. I mean, that's making the quarterback uncomfortable and not giving him anywhere to throw, and, and those two things are gone this game. So I think Miami's going to be able to move the ball – uh, we still don't know what Oklahoma State's kicking issues are going to be. With Alex Hale, the injury he suffered in Bedlam, uh, Brady Pohl was good early, not so good throughout the season. So I think I'm going to pick Miami in a close one. Uh, give it to me 38-34. to 34. I like it. Uh, so you're picking OSU? Uh, Miami. Picking Miami 38 Oh, 34. you're picking – I did not see that coming. Well, um, kicking – I just think between kicking issues – and then missing Rodarius and Trace Ford, I think, is really going to allow Miami to move the ball. Yeah, I'm with you. I uh, yeah, you talked me into a higher scoring game. I picked 31-28 OSU on TV last night. I guess I got to stick with that. I just think, I do think this has potential for total shootout in the 40s for each team. I just think kind of in, in a bowl scenario, uh, early on, I mean, there's usually a feeling a feeling out process. I could see the both teams punting to start the game, uh, so I, I just kind of see the game playing out that way to keep it, you know, 31-28. I just, I just think OSU's better on defense, even without Rodarius. I understand it's a huge loss. Trace Ford, obviously, a critical loss on on passing downs. I just think OSU's better defensively. I mean, again, Miami just got gashed in their in their big losses this year, and I just. I haven't had a ton, of, a ton of confidence in OSU this year offensively, of course, but with I was going to pick Miami before I found out Tyron Wallace was playing. I think he is just such a difference maker. He masks so many issues for this offense. And again, I, I kind of think with the time to prepare, you know, Mike Gundy's track record in bowl games is proven. He's nine and five. And a lot of those wins against teams that are better than his team in some of those bowl scenarios. So I just, I trust Mike Gundy way more than I trust Manny Diaz in a bowl scenario. 
And again, I think Spencer Sanders has played well down the stretch. I think that continues. And I just think OSU can outlast them by getting one more stop than Miami can. Now, again, I, I have a lot of respect for De'Aaron King. I think he'll put up numbers. I just kind of think this is a game that, that OSU typically wins come bowl season. Again, last year they were underdogs to A&M, made that a really good game, even without Spencer Sanders. This year they have them. I think they win the game. I got, I got OSU 31-28. Yeah, I think that's fair. Everybody I've seen is picking it close. Uh, maybe if Oklahoma State was the underdog in this game, I would pick them. They seem to do better as an underdog than as a favorite. So I, don't, I went back and forth on who to pick. I really – I could have just as easily been talked into picking Oklahoma State. Once you get the bowl season, especially COVID bowl year, it's just – I think it's very unpredictable. I just hope we get a good close game uh, and see an entertaining brand of football. What trick plays is OSU going to run? Oh, that's a good question. What is the trick play going to be? I think they're going to let Dylan Stoner, who played – some quarterback in high school throw a pass either to Spencer Sanders on kind of the wheel or maybe throw a bomb to Thailand on a jump ball and see if he can come down with it. A stoner pass <laughs> is the trick play. I love it. Uh, you know, as you were talking, I, I thought about this is the play they should run is they haven't ran it. I don't think since this play, but do you remember the, the freezing cold game against Baylor and Stillwater? Chelf, I believe, threw a screen to a receiver. I can't remember who it was. It might have been uh, Charlie Moore. And then they did they did the quarterback throwback pass to, to Chelf, and he ran it like 50, 60 yards down to yep. like the goal line. And I think Kai, Kai Staley may have run it in from there. Do the quarterback throwback to Sanders, who can legitimately house it once you get him in some open space. So, Yeah, I love that, that idea. And great throwback name with Kai Staley. That dude was a baller. Dude, he was. I uh, covered him in high school at the uh, Guthrie High, so a uh, name from the past. And again, uh, I get <laughs> they have run trick plays in bowl games, and just it, it's great. And it's it's great that they've played well in bowl games and that they get creative. It just it's almost like frustrating they don't do that in Bedlam or, or you know the biggest games of the year. They don't cut it loose like that. I just think that would have served them so much better in some big spots. And again, I'm not asking for reverse passes every game. It just seems like that's an example of. Gundy cutting it loose in a bowl game that he's, he coaches relaxed, coaches aggressive and carefree, and just you wish you saw that more during the year. Yeah, I I mean, I've kind of touched on that too. I, I hate to dwell on it, but, man, we sure do see the best coaching every year in the exhibition game. It just uh, – it, it boggles the mind. All right, those are our picks. Let's get to Chris's University Spirit uniform preview brought, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Go to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. All day, every day, they offer free standard shipping on orders over 50 bucks. I know we're past Christmas, but hey, if you need a sweatshirt like I do, hop on chrisuniversityspirit.com. All right, last uniform picks of the year. I, I think everything I've seen, it looks like OSU is the road team, which stinks. It limits their options to the, to yeah. the white jersey. Uh, I'm going to go black, white, black. And I think they go with the... Uh, well, maybe not. No, I'm, gonna, I'm changing my pick on the fly here. I was going to go black, white, black, but I'm going to go <laughs> black with the Scary Pete and the chrome face mask with the white jersey and gray pants. I don't think they're going to want to wear orange pants because that's what Miami will likely be wearing. Uh, so I'll go with the – I'll go black, white, gray to, to end things out. Here's what I'm thinking, Carson. I'm thinking it's the bowl game. Tylen's suiting up. You're playing the U. You got some seniors going out. I think they're going with the cleanest of clean looks 
I think they're going with the all whites tomorrow. Fingers crossed we see the all whites for the bowl game. Oh, that's a great call. They haven't worn that this year, I don't think. Fingers crossed for the all I love the all whites. Which helmet? Which the ice, icy white Pete he- with the chrome face mask with the big white Pete? Um, that's usually their. I don't know about the big white Pete. How about just the white helmet with the like uh, black OSU, just the classic OSU going down the side with the orange outline on the black writing? Okay, I'll go with that. I'll, I like that. Just a clean, clean all white look. Love it. Love it. Love it as well. Uh, we're going to cut this podcast a little short. We're, get, we're getting into New Year's uh, and i about to go on a trip before New Year's Eve. And then we'll, Colby and I will get back on our regular schedule after the new year. Hopefully 2021 is much better than, than 2020. Uh, so my Colby, real quick, my one interesting thing is we mentioned Dylan Stoner and he is top 10 in career receiving yards. He's ninth all time. He's, let's see, he's top 10 in punt return yards since at least 2000, which I know surprises you considering his lack of explosive plays, Right. but he can also catch, I think Des Bryant for eighth all time in receiving yards. I think he needs like 80, 80 yards, I believe, uh, maybe 90 yards. Let me look it up, but he's by, eighth by the all way, time. How good is it to see Des throwing up the X two weeks in a row? Oh, it's great. I mean, Des back in the, the touchdown column, you love to see it. Uh, let's see here. Okay. Stoner's 90 yards shy of Des Bryant, who's eighth all time. So Stoner's ninth. He could catch Des with 90 yards in the bowl game. So that, Do it. that tells you just how long and productive Dylan Stoner's career has been. The fact he's going to catch Des, who really only played you know, two full years, uh, which is remarkable that <laughs> Justin Blackman only played two years to Rashawn Woods' four full years. And James Washington's one because he played literally every game of his career. Yep. Rashawn Woods is two and Blackman's third, even though he only played about two years. He's ahead of Hartley who played, you know, three years. So kind of an interesting list. There's my one interesting thing. Uh, yeah, my one interesting thing, and this is a, a very much of a throwback for people who are Oklahoma State fans way back in the day. Chester Pittman, Oklahoma State's first black football player, passed away over the weekend at the age of 83. Uh, or I guess it would have been middle of last week that he passed away. So just want to show some love to a pioneer for Oklahoma State. Um, those guys who, who went through all that deserve all the recognition in the world. So Chester Pittman, Oklahoma State's first black football player back in the late 1950s, I believe. Yep, enrolled as a freshman in 1957, became the starting running back as a sophomore, eventually lettered in 1959. So uh, rest in peace to a Cowboy great Chester Pittman. Absolutely. That's well said. Colby, enjoy the bowl game, the Cheez-It Bowl. I'm going to eat some Cheez-Its while I watch this game. It's going to be a fantastic game. Hopefully OSU can end 2020 with a win heading into 2021. Lots of questions remain heading into next season. But, Colby, it's been great having you for football season. I hope you have a happy new year and we'll reconvene in uh, 2021. Absolutely. Happy new year, everybody. Go folks.